yep. departing, and it's only an hour. Jeff, out George Spurs, Jordan. I've I've texted, man. I was going to text you back last night in the interest of full disclosure. I passed out and I didn't wake up until about eight thirty this morning. So uh, my anybody that was looking for the insider this morning at Horace twenty four seven at eight o'clock, blame me that it wasn't posted on time because. I either slept through my alarm or forgot to set it. I don't know which one happened. Probably I forgot to set it. But at any rate, Jordan, how's it going? Man, not too bad. Um, Just kind of trying to make it to Sunday. Uh, That's the day I'll be going to San Antonio for the the All-American Bowl check-in. And um, the rest of our network, we'll have our whole crew down there. Uh, Should Mm -hmm. be by Sunday night. So we'll probably uh, be in the hotel lobby I'll be betting on some games. I don't know about the other guys, but um, there you go. Yeah, you know that kind of uh, kind of blows my mind. Anytime I'm in, I, I go outside the state of Texas and I'm road tripping it to go to pull up to like a, a gas station or a truck stop and see a sign that says casino, and you roll in there and there's like slot machines and stuff. It just yeah. short circuits me, so I got to get used to that in Louisiana. And actually, if I look out my window, like Harris is like two blocks over. I don't. I'm not, I'm not a casino guy, so I won't be spending any time in the casino. But Jordan, I want to get your thoughts. We'll talk recruiting. I want to get your thoughts on the Sugar Bowl, man. You, we've had. It, it, I was t- I was describing this to somebody uh, the other day. As a matter of fact, I think last night uh, I'm gonna drive in. I was talking to Kevin Flaherty, our good friend who works on the national news desk at 24/7 Sports. And it's like you know when you play in a a normal bowl game, like you kind of – you almost treat it like a lead into spring ball, right? Like you're recapping the season, but you're kind of starting to look forward. But when you're in a CFP semifinal, it's different. And, and it's like, okay, if you if you start talking about it too early, your readership and your listenership is going to get bored with it by the time the game gets here. But if you do it too late, you fail to capitalize on it. So it's kind of like when do you when do you maximize it? But I feel like we're hitting our stride right now. So you, you had a lot of time since the Big 12 championship game, since Selection Sunday to digest this. Give me, give me your initial thoughts on the uh, on the Sugar Bowl right now. Anything top of mind for you as it relates to the game, key to the game, matchup, whatever it is, storyline. What's top of mind for Jordan Scruggs as it relates to the CFP semifinal? Yeah, um, I mean, one. If I was a betting man, I'd uh, I'd put some money on the Longhorns. I think they're going to pull it out. Um, but uh. Sorry, they, uh, I have notifications on for the, the Texas football account because of a uh, signing day when they post the official signing things, and I just got a notification. <laughs> they did another one of those question videos. I don't know if you saw the one with Arch yesterday or the other day in Baron I did, yeah. Uh-huh. The other New Orleans guys, I thought that was pretty good. Um, but, you know, what, what you said, though, I think with the game, man, everyone's talking about the Washington O-line, um, Texas D-line, and you know, the Washington offense versus Texas defense matchup, especially not having Derrick Williams the first half. But, I mean, I feel like I'm just not seeing how anyone's talking about, like, how is – everyone's talking about how is Texas going to stop Washington. No one's talking about how is Washington going to stop Texas when Texas is an offense. Like, yeah, Washington has three NFL receivers. So, like, Texas is two in NFL tight end. And multiple running backs will play in the NFL, and their quarterback will also play in the NFL. I know Washington can say the same thing. And they have their own line and we'll do all that. But like no one's talking about the Texas offense versus the Washington defense, I feel like. And I feel like it's just getting swept under the rug. Because people are just talking about how, you know, their O line won the Joe Moore, how Devondre Sweat won the outland, whoop de woo, all that. But I mean, who the F is guarding Xavier Worthy? They only have one Jabari <laughs> Muhammad. 
They only have one Jabbar Muhammad. That's Malik Muhammad's cousin, by the way. Uh, started at uh, Oklahoma State, transferred to a Washington mm-hmm. State this past year. But like, I'm serious. Like, outside of him and watching Washington, like, I haven't felt great about any of their. Again, I haven't watched a ton of Washington, but I haven't felt great about any of their DBs really outside of Jabbar Muhammad. Um, and I just I feel like that part of the game isn't being talked about enough. I mean, I don't know what's the energy like down there for for that side of the game, or is it all still you know Washington it, offense versus Texas defense? Yeah, it may be because the, today was press conference day. You know, the Washington offense will go a little bit later. We got the Texas defense first, and, and I think that's probably got something to do with it. But mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't heard a whole lot about you know how is the Washington defense going to deal with this Texas offense. And I think, you know, the more I think about it, Jordan, like if Texas, it's weird. It's weird to play hypotheticals like this because I'm the kind of person that I just can't go hypothetical and then just assume that everything else works out as planned. It's like there's some variables that have to change along the way. And where I'm going with that is it's easy to say like, okay, if Texas had Jonathan Brooks for this game, I, I would pick Texas to win and not think twice about it, right? But the time Texas has spent without Jay Brooks, not only have you have we seen, you know, CJ Baxter's had a hundred yard game, Jaden Blues had a hundred yard game, Savion Red down there had a hundred yard game against Texas Tech, and honestly, they didn't need to run the ball against Oklahoma State to win that football game. Texas has been able to run the ball; they they found an identity running the football well enough to open up the rest of the offense because this is an RPO-based offense. I don't think we, we don't need to forget that. They've run the ball well enough to be able to keep Sark's offense open, to be able to keep it on schedule uh, without B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. And that was kind of, that was the one thing that going into the year, honestly, did you think that was going to be the one thing that helped this team back? Because that was the one thing that I really worried about. Like, I didn't worry about interior D-line depth. Uh, and, but, you know, even though Sweat and Murphy have both surpassed expectations – I was maybe higher on the secondary than I should have been. Uh, you know, wide receiver, you figured adding A.D. Mitchell was going to have everything work out. But, like, how, how are they going to be able to run the football consistently? And they have. I, I feel like we're not – it's funny because I was really disappointed with this group midway through the season, especially after the Oklahoma game. But now I'm like, man, have we not given the Texas offensive line enough credit for how efficient this offense has been? Because kind of however they've needed to attack opponents, They've done it. So to your point, like, it's not just the Texas receivers. It's this whole Texas offense. And there have been games where they've been able to keep Quinn Ewers clean. Uh, I mentioned the Jonathan Brooks thing because the absence of Jonathan Brooks kind of coincided with the time Quinn Ewers was getting healthy again. So they're going into this game having – rediscovered their rhythm in the past game, knowing that they can run the ball. Let's not pretend like this is a lights-out Washington run defense they're facing anyway. So I'm with you, Jordan. I don't think we've looked at it enough and what an advantage that probably is for Texas going against the Washington defense. Texas has gone against better defenses this year. Yeah. Yeah, they have. And, I mean, dude, and they played them last year. They Like, you know how many points they left on the field as well? And I don't want to be like, Texas didn't have all their players. They set out for the bowl game because, like, I hate when fans use that excuse because, like, everyone deals with it. But, I mean, did Washington have anyone sit out last year? Like, am, am I am I forgetting someone? Did Washington have a single person sit out last year? Uh, I mean, off the top of my head, 
I'm, I'm going to say no, and I'm sure somebody's going to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and say no. Yeah. Um, and I guess kind of to piggyback on what you were saying about being worried about like Bijan and Roshan going into this year. Um, I was pretty confident that like running back by committee, at least, you know, they would figure out someone at least midway through the year. And, you know, that's, I guess, kind of what happened with Jonathan Brooks. Now CJ Baxter obviously also got injured, but, um, you know, Jonathan Brooks stepped up, but over the off season, never, I'd find myself worrying about that. I'd always think of like the Baylor game, uh, like the last game that Bijan played, um, would have been senior, the senior night game in 2022. It's like, dude, Texas won that game because they couldn't pass the ball (laughs) and were handing (laughs) it off to Bijan, and everyone in DKR knew who was getting the ball, and they still couldn't stop it. Um, Yeah. I don't know if Jonathan Brooks is the type of kind of talent because we got to remember how special Bijan is to where he – everyone in the stadium knows he's getting the ball, and he's still breaking like 10 tackles for five yards. I just don't think Texas has somebody like that on their roster. But it's okay because there hasn't really been a point where they've been in that situation like they were versus Baylor last year where it's like, oh, shit, we're not winning this game if we don't get down the field with eight first downs and we can't complete a pass to save our lives. They haven't been yeah. in that situation yet. So, um, you know, grateful for that. But, you know, I think, like, what more could you have asked for from this running back group with, you know, taking the reins from Bijan and Roshan? Like, there literally isn't – you can't ask for for more. You can't. No, no. And, you know, going back to the run game, you know, Jonathan Brooks did a really good job this year. You know, I, I think when he was injured, he was in the top five in the country and missed tackles force, uh, you know, yards after contact per attempt. He was one of the one of the highest. Uh, he was ranked one of the top, top running backs in the country in that metric. Um, was it as good as Bijan? No, but like you said, Bijan Robinson's general. We yeah. in our in our business, we way overuse this term, but it does apply to Bijan. Like Bijan's a generational talent at running back. So, yeah. oh, you you did. That's like saying, hey, you were good, but you weren't as good as Ricky Williams. Well, okay, who the hell was right? Yeah. Like I think Bijan's that freaking talented, and I think he's proving it on Sundays right now. So Jonathan Brooks did a hell of a job, and and it, it sucks because when he got hurt. He was doing a really good job at maximizing runs. And I talk about this with great backs all the time. And this goes back to, you know, my earliest recollections of football, you know, be hearing high school coaches talk about it when I was – I was kind of one of those weirdos. Like, I was a kid and I would, like, listen – like, want to be on the sidelines and listen to what high school coaches are telling players. And, you know, while other kids are running around playing grab ass or, you know, smear the turkey or whatever off on the side i'm like well i want to know what's going on in the game and you're over there like, like connor stallions like yeah i'm the connor that's the connor Stallions. write that down Texas, america <laughs> and, but you'd hear coaches like i was the one thing that always stuck with me was coaches telling the running back man at some point you got to be an athlete like the play is going to be blocked not every play is going to be blocked perfectly at some point you got to go be an athlete and that's what Bijan did so well and jonathan brooks was getting to the point where he was getting elite at that when he got hurt are C.J. Baxter or Savion Red or Jaden Blue, are they there yet? No, but they do enough things well that the by-committee approach that they started the year with, this is where it's paying off. Like, I felt like if Texas was going to have a 1,000-yard rusher, it was going to be Jonathan Brooks. Like, he had earned that opportunity to be given a volume of carries to where he could be he could be able to become that guy. But at the same time, like, giving C.J. Baxter some starting experience, the injury to Jonathan Brooks forcing you to give Jaden Blue more carries, 
it's a different situation where now you've had time to adjust to life without your number one running back. But I feel like Texas can run the ball. But the overall point, Jordan, we don't give this offensive line enough credit because they're a really good pass-blocking offensive line. They're good enough as run blockers. Texas can pretty much attack. Sark has the kind of offense right now. He Any way he wants to attack an opponent, he can't attack an opponent. Take what the defense gives him. That, to me, is the biggest change with Sark. It's the biggest area of growth we've seen with Quinn. Like I – what was the number one complaint about Quinn? There was a lot of complaints about Quinn last year from from the peanut gallery. But what was maybe the biggest complaint people had about Quinn last year? Throws too way too many deep balls. There's way too many deep balls. Relies on the on the deep ball way too much. Well, if you look at Quinn in the Big Twelve Championship game, and I I will pull it up. Uh, if you give me just a second, if Jordan, if I if I drop or anything, it's probably because the uh, my complimentary Marriott Bonvoy internet here at the hotel is not uh, cooperating with me. It's been it's you, a little spotty. It's a little are y'all at least at the at the media hotel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at okay, the media man. hotel. There's all the press conferences. I, this is where it paid it paid dividends. So I mentioned I overslept because it's just the drive in and everything else. Um, mm-hmm. I was able to get down to the press conference without showering. Just threw some clothes on, went down there. Did my work and then came back and got the shower before the show. So that's that's how that all worked out. Uh, it all it all went very well. But you look at Quinn's like the, one of the biggest complaints, and this is kind of where I'm going. I, I'm taking this back to the bowl game last year. So I know I'm kind of all over the place right now, but just take this ride with me. The so last year, one of the big complaints about Quinn was the deep ball. Threw way too many deep balls. Relied too many of the deep balls. I feel like the bowl game last year was the first time that we really saw Quinn and Sark show patience. And that was one of the things that I kind of heard the, from the Washington side going into the bowl game last year in San Antonio was they were just going to guard against the deep ball because they didn't feel like Sark and or Quinn had the patience to just nickel and dime them down the field. Mm-hmm. Well, in the second half, and I felt like they just kind of figured it out too late, Jordan. Like when they, when they kind of figured out, you know, we can just kind of, check the ball down to Jonathan Brooks or a little flat pass to JT Sanders or, or maybe get Gunnar Helm involved. Like by the time they figured out they could go, you know, six, seven, eight yard chunks throwing the football. I felt like it was too late and they just kind of ran not to go Aggie on anybody, but they just kind of ran out of time. Like they just didn't have enough time to, to score. And the defense was terrible on third down in that game last year too. But you look at Quinn in the big 12 championship game, like just to bring a full circle, on deep balls, he was one for four, according to Pro Football Focus, on passes that traveled 20 yards or more down the field. Now, the one bomb he hit was that 62-yarder to A.D. Mitchell. But if you look at intermediate throws, 10 to 19 yards, eight for nine. Short throws, 11 for 15. Throws behind the line of scrimmage, which is basically your screen game, 15 for 15. So if you look at throws from behind the line of scrimmage up to nine yards, Quinn Ewers had a game in the Big 12 championship game where he was 26 of 30. He threw the 30 pass attempts that traveled no further than nine yards down the field. There's no way in hell we would have seen a line from Quinn like that last year. Mm-hmm. But I think going back to your point that you made like 45 minutes ago and kind of where I've been trying to get, get us on, on this path in this long drawn out spiel that I've had, the ability of Sark and Quinn to take what the defense gives them that growth, that gives me more confidence than anything. Because Washington, if you want to, if you want to play too high shell and protect against the deep ball, go right ahead, man. Because Texas has guys that can make yards after the catch, and 
this bet this group of backs they're really good catching the ball so yeah texas has no problem putting together you know eight plus play drives yeah yeah and um you know it's good you pointed that out because i have noticed i don't want to say rink and dink down the field but i guess that's the best way to sum it up right now but they have really you know started the just not throw the ball as far. Yeah, um, yeah. And also, I mean, coaches steal stuff from everyone, right? But mm-hmm. and I doubt it came directly from here. But for example, I'm a big 49ers fan. Um, I watch 49ers every week. Uh Kyle Shanahan, who's a longhorn, by the way, love the way just they've constructed and organized a franchise on the roster and everything, the draft. Um but I love his play calling and the way they go about games. And, like, for example, everyone has a different opinion on Brock Purdy. Why is that? Because he was the last pick in the draft for a reason. And he looks amazing because he's throwing, yeah. like, screen passes to, you know, aliens. Mm-hmm. Texas, I feel like at some points has started throughout the season, definitely whenever Malik Murphy was hurt. They're making it, like, where it's almost impossible for the quarterback to F it up. Um, almost yeah. impossible. <laughs> um, but, you know, as Quinn has come back and he's earned more trust and come off the injury, you know, there it seems like they're spacing it out more with the different concepts and stuff like that. But um, I have noticed more and more similarities this year where it seems like, like throwing the ball. Oh, Jeff, you're frozen. I don't know if I lost you. You got me? I think he got me back now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like throwing Quint on the ball 15 behind, behind 15 times behind the line of scrimmage is like, if you told me that last year, I would have like spit in your face or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, that's wild. Um, that's, a prop, like that's, that's kind a of Brock. That that, that's a prop. Brock you Purdy. Cash taking the under. Yeah. Brock Purdy 49ers esque kind of, I feel like with the behind the line of scrimmage passes. Yeah, but. I think I think we're starting to your point on that. I think we're starting to see that's it's interesting when you look at Sark's background as an offensive coordinator and just kind of who he's learned from, right? Like a lot of it, I think early on uh, was influenced by Norm Chow, just from his time at BYU uh, and his time early on at USC. Uh, then I think you go to his time with the Raiders, and you know. And he was the quarterback's coach with North Turner. I know I'm going to kind of get deep in the weeds and nerd out on some football. So, anybody, if I lose anybody, I apologize. But you look at Sark when he was with the Raiders, I think that kind of changed a lot of his philosophy because North Turner, and there's a reason why Al Davis hired North Turner back in the day, right? Like, what what is North Turner's offense all about, especially when he's with the Cowboys? He wanted to have a physical edge, run of the floor. And see if this doesn't sound familiar, Jordan, from some of the stuff Sark has talked about this year. Want to have a physical edge, run of the football, be able to play action people, take shots down the field. Like, North Turner was all about having, you know, he, he liked having speed guys on the outside. Al Davis, the Raiders, loved speed. So I think Sark was pretty heavily influenced. That was maybe the first philosophical change we saw from him was his time with, uh, with the Raiders. And we've gradually seen him. I, I think some of it was by, by – was he had to, he'd become more of kind of a – Incorporate some more quarterback runs, some more RPO stuff when he had guys like Jake Locker and Keith Price at Washington. Uh, but then I think it's it's the time he spent in the NFL and where the Kyle Shanahan thing comes in. And I've talked to Stark about this too. 
when Sark went back to the went to the NFL as the Falcons OC, Kyle Shanahan had just left off that Super Bowl run in Atlanta to take the 49ers job. Well, Sark coming in didn't really want to change the offense too much. So he basically kind of put his spin on what Kyle Shanahan was doing. He figured this this team had one of the best offenses in the league. Why am I going to mess with it? So there ended up being a lot of crossover, and Sark has admitted in, in recent years. So he goes from kind of this very strict, stringent, Norm Chow West Coast offense to Norm Turner, where it's kind of old school. I've heard people kind of refer to this to as a Gulf Coast offense, right, where it's just like hard, you know, run the football, be physical, hard play action, shots over the top. You're, very, you're not throwing a ton of short and intermediate passes. To then the philosophical shift kind of became, okay, a little more RPO when he had Keith Price and Jake Locker to then get into the NFL and studying Kyle Shanahan, you know, he said in the offseason, like the guys he studies now, it's Kyle Shanahan, it's Mike McDaniel, it's Matt LaFleur, it's Sean McVay. It's all the guys from that coaching tree. And, you know, you can see a lot of those similarities in what Sark tries to do, whether it's, you know, motion shifts, personnel groupings. Uh, probably the guy that he's most like and think in terms of the way they view football is probably Matt LaFleur. But to your point, Jordan, that's the that's the coaching truth Sark has said he studies. And I feel like really this year you're really starting to see it. But I think a lot of that too, we got to give Sark credit for growing. But we got to give Quinn credit for growing too, man, because I say this and I say this with confidence, like we won't see it again. We're seeing we're seeing fewer of, and this is the growth you want to see from a quarterback. We're seeing fewer of the what the hell was that kind of throws from Quinn? And he started, we're starting to get more of a baseline. And even when the mistakes happen, like you go back and look at the Oklahoma game, it doesn't snowball on him and hasn't snowballed on him this year like it did at times last year. There we go. I'm back. Jordan, back in a second. There we go. All right. I don't know how to move myself from – can I do that? Do I not have privileges to move myself from backstage to – Whatever. Uh, I don't think you do because I don't. I don't think so either. So, anyway, um, I was saying something about Quinn Ewers before uh, before we got knocked off, but I'm sure whatever it was was not that riveting anyway. But I digress, man. No, I just think that going back to what we we're talking about, though, I, I think the growth Quinn has. <laughs> I like I like Johnny. This is the best Jeff has ever been. Yeah. I appreciate that. Not, no kidding. Uh, but uh, the growth Quinn has shown, uh, you know, I was talking about the snowball factor. Like if Quinn Ewers in 2022 had to kind of start, like if that version of Quinn Ewers is in this year's Oklahoma game, like he doesn't finish with the kind of game he had where he damn near brought him back to win the game. Like it probably snowballs and he's got two or three picks and we're all questioning, wondering why is this guy – your franchise quarterback, you need to go to Malik Murphy, whatever. Uh, that didn't happen. Didn't happen in the Oklahoma game. I don't really happened at any point this year. There was, never, there was never that game, Jordan, where you felt like, man, probably need to go to the backup. Probably don't need – we've probably seen enough of Quinn. It's just, they're never, we never got to that point this year. Yeah, well, after Malik Murphy threw, went like one of two on bombs to a five-star receiver getting guarded by a walk-on, all the fans were saying that Malik could start over Quinn. You don't remember that? Man, I that shit pisses me off. I can't lie. Like, shut up. <laughs> like people th- shut up respectfully. Sorry. Um, I've seen I can seen all have enough. opinions, but those are opinions were just wrong. They were just wrong. Here's the deal, like, you 
you can no. Here's the deal: like you can have opinions, just like I have opinions. Um, that's freedom of speech, right? Anybody can have an opinion. I just think we have to be accountable for the dumb stuff we say, whether it's us hosting the show or if we're just out in Gen Pop. Like, just gotta be accountable. Like, I have the problem, man. People just don't want to be accountable. Look, man, hold, hold my feet to the fire if I say something stupid, right? Like, I, I don't care. I, I, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. Um, you know, I, I still <laughs> I still get messages every now and then because um, at one point or in reminders. At one point, I think I said Durham Smythe was the biggest recruiting miss Mac Brown ever had. I think those words did come out of my mouth. Durham Smythe is an NFL tight end. But, you know, I'd be leaving off Adrian Peterson and Andrew Luck and all kinds of you know, various first round Johnny football. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I was really hot. Durham Smythe, man. I wanted Texas. Texas was a black hole for tight ends at one point. Jordan, you could, you either couldn't keep them healthy or couldn't get them to campus. Um, but <laughs> hey, then that's changed, man. Texas, you know, it kind of started. Andrew Beck is an NFL tight end. Jeff Swain is an NFL tight end. JT Sanders is changing some lives, man. They but yeah, like Jeff Swain was an NFL tight end. All those guys are NFL. Andrew Beck, pff, boring. They hey, want man. we want tight ends who can catch passes. That's what the kids care there about. Will be, they don't... There will be no Andrew Beck slander during the show, sir. Oh no, I'm not slandering him. I'm just saying, like kids these days could give a shit about that tight end position. They want to catch touchdowns. That's why all these kids who are, I don't know, six two, athletic but not like a freak athlete, but not a bad athlete. It's like hey. You're six two with a six six wingspan. There are ten people like you in this state who play receiver yeah. with your same frame. You want to play DB and be the only guy at DB and get like twenty offers right away. I'm good. I want to catch touchdowns. Like it's the same thing. And JT uh, Sanders said, changes the way people are looking at Texas tight ends or kids. I, I've said that over the years. Guys that were two way guys like uh, Kendall Sanders was one of these guys uh, back in the day. Uh, it's probably before your time watching Texas football. But Kendall Sanders was one of those guys that the Texas staff was enamored with him playing wide receiver. And he played wide receiver his two years in Texas. And I'm like, that's great. Six one wide receivers are a dime a dozen. Six one corners with ball skills get drafted in the first round. You you decide which one you want to play. And that was at a time where Texas wasn't exactly pumping out top 100 picks a corner the texas oh no <laughs> oh boy I'm trying to think texas hadn't had one i think curtis either curtis brown or shocky brown i think curtis brown was the last top 100 corner texas had and that was the 2011 draft yeah it was the 2011 draft so yeah, I'm. My point is, yeah, I'm with you. And then tight end is the same thing. I think it's easier now, though, especially like in Sark's offense. We heard him talk about this with Jordan Washington on signing day. Like, if you get a guy like J.T. Sanders, like uh, he's a five tool guy. You know, he's a guy that can play in line, you can play like whatever, whatever you want to do. He, Jatavian Sanders fits in any offense. But Sark, under normal circumstances, he wants to he wants to run a lot of twelve personnel. We saw him have these guys at Alabama. Like, think about. His 2020 offense at Alabama, he had these guys like Miller Forstall was their inline guy and their and their and their primary blocker. And Jaleel Billingsley was their receiver. He was their move guy and their guy that could actually 
threaten a defense in the past game. I think that's what he's striving to have now at Texas. You know, you, we talked about it last week, I think leading up to signing there, two weeks ago, whenever signing day was, of Slepson's then. Uh, but he, you look at the pipeline now, like Will Randall and Spencer Shannon, like those are his inline guys. And, you know, the Jordan Washingtons of the world, the Emory Winstons of the world, those are going to be your move guys, your vertical pass game guys. So if you can get a JT Sanders, great. But if not, you can you can get guys that can fill your tight end roles uh, and they can be really good players, but they're just going to be kind of more so kind of one-trick ponies, not the five-tool guys, kind of more limited guys. But in that role, they can be really good and, and serve a function for you. Yeah. Yeah, no um... – 49ers cornerback Terrell Brown. He he got drafted after the, the Terrell Texas Brown was USC like game, right? Terrell Brown was 2007 draft. Yeah. yeah. Now the next the next Plus, top I think Terrell Brown was a fifth round pick. Yeah. Yeah. And the next top 100 will probably be Jade. If not next year, maybe Terrence Brooks, Malik Muhammad, one of those guys. Um, I'm excited to see how Terrence Brooks Brooks does. Um, I remember it feels like. This game versus Washington last year obviously was in a different game, different circumstances. But it feels like that game last year was the first like time we really saw him kind of break out. Um, he almost had a pick six. I remember that. I don't know if anyone else remembers that. Uh, and he dropped it versus Washington last year. Like that was another example mm-hmm. of Texas leaving points on the field. Um, yeah, Deshaun Jamison played more in that game. I think because the thing that concerns me about the Washington pass game, it's not so much their talent at receiver because Texas has faced some talented receivers. I mean, like that U of H group was good. Were they as good as Washington? No, but they were good. The TCU group, were they as good as Washington? No, but they're still really good. Um, It's the way Washington, and this is where I think people, Jordan, people are just kind of looking at the talent level at Washington group and like, oh, Robert NJ is an All-American and Jalen McMillan's fast and, Jalen Polk, we know him from Lufkin. He's good. So, yeah, and the Texas secondary is that problem. It's not just that. It's the way Kalen DeBoer is – I mean, he's he's in he's in that category with Sartre just in terms of innovative offensive minds, the way he can utilize bunch formations, the way he can leverage his formations to get his receivers in one-on-one matchups, the way they utilize shifts. I was talking to, to Kim Reynolds today, Chip Brown, where Kim's our, our publisher for our Washington site. There was one play, and I think Kim said it was the regular season meeting against Oregon. There was a play where Washington had nine different pre-snap shifts on one play. Yeah, that nine different pre-snap shifts on one play. Like, Kalen DeBoer is really good what he does offensively with his offense. I I think he's great. Um, But to your point, I think if you just look at it, Man for man, Texas can't match up with the Washington receivers. I have no doubt about that because Texas has talent in that, that corner. It, it's where now you get into, you know, like I said, utilizing bunch formations, you know, switch routes, guys, you know, different re- different releases out of bunch formations. It's real easy to get Texas mixed up, with, especially with as much quarters as Texas runs. You, you can kind of use the – that's why they call them quarters beaters. You kind of use the principles and the rules of quarters coverage against Texas at times, uh, just by nature of what you do, you, you know, utilizing those different tools you've got. So, but I, I think, am I wrong, Jordan? I think like man for man, like if it's just a straight up, just straight up man coverage, like Terrence Brooks and Malik Muhammad 
and Ryan Watts, they're good enough to cover Washington on the outside. Jaday Barron's good enough to handle whoever's inside in the slot. Yeah. Of those four guys you mentioned, I'm most worried about Ryan Watts just because, you know, he takes the longest to flip his hips and move his feet, and he's the slowest one of them. You know, I know Manny's a freshman, Terrence Brooks is a redshirt freshman, so they're all – or not redshirt, second-year player, whatever. So they're all going to – they're all going to struggle because, again, this is a good-ass Washington receiving core. Um, but I don't know. I I, I remember seeing kind of whenever the Derek Williams thing at first got, you know, 1,000% announced that, uh, you know, he was out the first half. People want to move John A to safety, and it's like, well, who the hell's guarding Jalen Polk? Yeah. <laughs> or, or in the That's- nickel, <laughs> you know? Like, they kind of need a, to keep him there. So yeah, it, it's kind of what's the lesser of two evils, right? Is it, you know, just running more of Michael Taff and Jaron Thompson, no and Keaton, Keaton Crawford, Crawford and hoping keep, and hoping keep for him the off best. the field, keep him off the field as <laughs> or, long as you can, or letting Jalen Gilbo, letting Jalen Gilbo play that star position. Uh, that's really that's really where you're at. I mean, uh, I feel like if Gavin Holmes were an option at that star position, they would have probably started to make that transition already and wouldn't have hesitated to give Jaday some more looks at safety. Yeah, anytime Keaton Crawford's on the field, man, and I don't, I don't mean to disparage anybody, but look, I mean, the Washington offensive staff was watching the same game tape that we all watched in person with our own eyes. And, man, there were just times where I just don't know what it is. I don't know if he trusts his athleticism too much, uh, if it's uh, an inability or problem processing things. But it's always like, man, he just just flat foot reads stuff and just guys just are running by him. And as fast as he is, he – Man, you elite recovery speed sometimes just isn't enough if you're if you're being outflanked. So, yeah, I, that's the matchup though that worries me. It's not so much the corners. Where I was going with that is, I just feel like people have lumped the Texas secondary into this group of like they all suck, they're all terrible. Like, no, actually, that talent at corner, it's safety, especially when the Derrick Williams safety net doesn't exist. There's a reason, Jordan, and you can speak to this better than I can. There's a reason why they went to the portal and got Andrew Makuba for next year. There's a re- reason why they worked so hard to flip Xavier Filsamy from Florida. Like, they know they're talent deficient at safety right now, and they're working really hard to change that. So, but what can, what can they do about it in this game? As much as they would love to have Drew Makuba and can't wait to get him, he can't suit up for Texas in this game. It's not the way to wire. So, have him wear Keaton Crawford's jersey. <laughs> Yeah, just sneak them on there for a couple plays. Like, man, Keaton Crawford's balling out tonight. Yeah, they won't know. <laughs> they zoom in on him on the sideline. And it's like, holy shit, that's Andrew Makuba. No, yeah. don't take his don't let him take his helmet off. Just keep, keep his helmet on the whole time. Yeah, but no, why, why, and, and, visor. and why? But you know, I, I said that about Keaton Crawford. I, I've been thinking about this. I've been trying to. You know, we've got the. I'm gonna go a little inside baseball right now. Like, we've got a content, like content ideas on the site for content leading up to the game, and one of them, Trey Scott pitched was kind of looking at Jamal Charles' role back in 2005, and Jaden Blue kind of stepping into that role. To me, it's kind of it's almost an apples oranges comparison. It doesn't really apply, but kind of going off that, like I started thinking, like you know, 
we all remember the big time performances in the national championship game with Texas winning 05. We all remember v right? We all remember uh, David Thomas catching 10 balls. Mike, you know, Michael Griffin making that pass to boundary interception on Matt Liner. But my thing is, who's going to be the unsung heroes in this game? Like, you think about the guys that made plays in that game that don't get talked about near as much as they should. Like, who's going to do what Frank Ocam did right before the half and come up with a sack that forces Washington to settle for a field goal, just like he did against SC? Who's going to be the Drew Kelson that runs stride for stride with Reggie Bush on a wheel route and denies him a touchdown early in that game? Who's going to be the Brian Carter that leads you from in receptions out of nowhere and has some monster catches on that last drive? That's kind of where my mind is at. Like, who's going to be those guys that we're not really thinking about? I thought Blake Brockermeyer has a really good piece, did a really good piece. It's up right now on the site at Horns 24-7. Uh, kind of looking at underappreciated guys. I think one of those guys, like he, he mentioned Jade and Christian Jones and a couple of those guys, which rightfully so, they don't get the credit they deserve. But I look more at a guy like, uh, like this could be a game where Ethan Burke has like a two, two, two and a half sack game. And the country really figures out, like, what Ethan Burke is all about. This could be a game where Gunnar Helm catches a big touchdown. Guys like that, like, man, I mentioned Brian Carter, and Brian Carter was a fifth-year senior. The guy who mentions a true freshman. Man, if if this becomes a game where Texas decides it's better to run lighter personnel and try to really wear Washington out throwing the football, if that's an advantage, this could be a game where Jonte Cook has a couple of big catches. You know, maybe this is a game. Jaden Blue would be one of those guys for me. You're thinking about C.J. Baxter, but maybe Jaden Blue has a big game. I don't know, Jordan. For me, it's those guys like that. Like, who's going to be that guy that doesn't, you know, we're not immediately talking about him after the game, but when you sit down and really think about the dudes that made, like, those four or five plays, those handful of plays, those half dozen plays that really made a difference. Like, damn, that guy really did make a big play, didn't he? The Drew Kelsons and the Brian Carters and the Frank Ocams of the world. Who's going to be in those roles? for Texas because you're those are the guys you're going to need to come through to make plays if you're going to win this game Michael Taff everything you said he's got it covered uh <laughs> growing up we used to call him the white Travis Hunter but <laughs> no I'm playing um no great great points um great points also like who's going to be on Washington to get a face mask yeah. on Texas with like four minutes left <laughs> and trying to drive down the field or however many minutes were left thank um, you Darnell Bean yeah, exactly. Like, who, you know, who's going to help Texas out there? Um, have they announced the officiating crew yet? Uh, you know what? Uh, let me look at that. I can look that up real quick. I don't really know any officials by name except for uh, – I'm blanking on it right now. It's a guy that screwed Texas a few times this year. Kevin Nall. Yeah, I was going to say, if you say his name, I'll recognize it, and that's it. Uh, Let's see. Uh, let's look up this site. Footballzebras.com claims to have bowl assignments. Uh, let's see. A Big 12 crew is going to work the Rose Bowl. Have fun with that, Michigan and Alabama fans. Uh, Texas, Washington has a Big 10 crew working the game. I don't know if it would be a, an SEC crew or a Big 10 crew. Interesting. Interesting. But I figured it would be it would be a Power Five crew that's not a Pac twelve or a Big Twelve crew. Yeah, and, uh, and there's a, it's going to be an ACC crew that works the uh, Texas is in the championship game. It'll be uh, 
it'll be an ACC crew that works. So, got it. There you go. So you're gonna be able to uh, do the show Monday and Tuesday. I mean, yeah, that's the plan. Uh, I don't know logistically, and I apologize for yesterday. Um, I was traveling, so couldn't do the show yesterday. I know, I know, I know. Today and tomorrow, <laughs> I know that. That's fun, but. Uh, as far as anything else, uh, it's to be determined. So normally we would hand the baton off here at the top of the hour in about 10 minutes to Trey and BK. We're going to hand it off to Chip and Zay, uh, which, man, I haven't even talked to Chip. How's Chip going to make it to practice? Because Texas has practice availability at 120 if he's on the air until 2. I don't know. I digress. But it'll be Chip and Zay from 12 to 2 um, because our the pluckers, the, the roundtable from pluckers will start at 2 o'clock with – uh, everybody that's back in Austin uh, that's not in New Orleans will be part of that Pluckers. Now. So, by the way, Pluckers link location. If you're out and about, want to go chop it up with you guys, talk some ball, you can hear it on all of our platforms, all of our channels, all the methods where you get Texas sports unfiltered. But nothing beats the in-person experience. Go out, I mean, it's Pluckers. Dude. Go get you some Go get you some wings. Uh, or go do what I do, man. Go get you one of them big salads at Pluckers, man, the big grilled chicken salad. Uh, throw a little lemon pepper on the chicken. It, it hits the spot. But, uh, yeah, it's a Pluggers link location is where the roundtable is going to be today. Jordan, speaking of tight ends, uh, you mentioned Scott. I don't know if you had a chance to talk about him yesterday or uh, on these airways at some point. What, what – positionally, what is Caden Finley, son of Jermichael Finley, and how does – potentially how does Texas see him as a prospect? Um, my player comp is Jaden Greyhouse. Okay. But the good thing going for Caden Finley that Jaden Greyhouse didn't going for him is that Finley's dad is <laughs> Jermichael Finley. Yeah. Um, we have him listed at six foot 200. He's probably about six, two now, six, three, somewhere in there. Um, probably about the same weight. I'd assume he just, he doesn't have top end speed. He plays receiver for Alito, um, but he's he's more of a tight end body, if I'm being honest. And the way kind of Alito runs things, like they don't – I mean, they use the tight end, but n- n- not really to run routes. Um, you know, talking to him after the state championship game, he, uh, he said Texas is actually recruiting him at tight end. And um, I asked, you know, well, how is it with the other schools recruiting you? And he said that hasn't been talked about, but he did like how Texas already has a plan for him or whatnot. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of the the player he is. Uh, he started at Alito since his freshman year, almost a true freshman year. He started at Alito since his freshman year. Um, he's been a big time contributor for a minute. I mean, I started sixteen games, and he's has two seasons left. And mm-hmm. I mean, has started thirty two games, um, sixteen games each year, and there's there's thirty two games left or. This last two years, if Alito goes all the way to state, which, you know, they could. DeSoto's now going to be in 5A, so Alito and DeSoto are going to have to go through each other each year for the next two years. DeSoto is uh, dropping out of 5A? Yeah, they have 5A numbers. Wow. Yeah, they're about to destroy everyone. <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. Is that so – I, I know. No, it's official know. because they they the UIL is like, hey, y'all have like three weeks to decide if y'all are gonna be in five A or if you're gonna opt up to six A. And they were like, we have a state championship, like we're not talking about that. So they didn't talk about it at all. 
and then like a week after the state game ended when they blew out a 6A opponent by 60 points or whatever. And then they were like, yeah, we're going down to 5A. So <laughs> at least Alito and DeSoto will be a really good game once a year. Um, but, I mean, well, basically, dude, Alito hasn't we- lost a district game since like 2004, 2006. It's some wild shit. It's been a long time. We can just, depending on what it looks like, we can either go ahead and say, okay, that state quarterfinal, that region one final, or a state semifinal. Just go ahead and sharpie in Alito and DeSoto because that's what that's what that bracket will look like in in 581. Boom. Someone asked the quarterbacks have mics in their helmets. I've noticed some bowl games have been doing that. Do you know if if this bowl game is included? They're experimenting with it in the bowl games in the playoff, no. Okay. They'll still be using cards and signals and all that other fun stuff that they use. I I know Sark has wanted uh communicate you know the communication devices in the helmets. He's been a big proponent of it. I, I don't know why power five leagues don't do it. I, th- this is more I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on, you know, conference expansion and you know separation and autonomy and things like that, but like the Power Five leagues and the Power Four, whatever the hell they're calling themselves now, like those leagues have enough money with the TV, but they should be able to have yeah. communication devices in the helmet. Um, there should be a communication device, like with the with somebody on the sideline or the defense coordinator in the booth, whoever it is, and and somebody on defense, you know, like a, your linebacker, safety, whoever, whoever it is. So, you know, it's kind of like. A, why the hell do people still using fax machines on National Signing Day when you have so many other means to send in a letter of intent? Why are you going to cards and signals and all this stuff that's just antiquated when the technology is there? It's available for you to use. Just use it. So, but I guess that'll be determined by conference. I mean, I don't see why the SEC would would have a problem doing that. Maybe that's something. I don't know. Maybe that's something that comes up. It's a it's a comp. It, it could be like replay, Jordan, where you replay. You know, it's determined. And really, it's not an issue. We don't ever hear about it an issue when, you know, you're talking about a Texas game because the Power Five leagues, most of your FBS leagues are going to do it. But, like, when you have a – let's say you're playing an F- FCS opponent. I don't know. Okay, weird thing. You're an FBS team playing an FCS opponent on the road. Well, <laughs> patience, boys. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yo, Jeff. All right, well, how are we doing? How many of y'all are going to the game um, on Monday? Yeah, yeah, no, I know it's not me. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Um, I'm gonna tell them tomorrow. We or not tomorrow, but Monday. We got to get a hot spot working or something. You know, because we this is horrible. We can't we can't do this. Uh uh-uh. uh. Um, but yeah, how many of y'all are going to the game? And I don't know if any of y'all are down there or whatnot. Um, <laughs> oh, well, Jeff, you look different. <laughs> uh, few years older and a few pounds heavier. Yeah. Is that me? Is that me? Maybe. Didn't feel like refinancing my home. Yeah, I feel you on that. Um, 
Hey, ticket, I don't care. I'm, if they, they go to the natty, I'm figuring it out. I'm going to be in the RG one way or another. So I will I will say this. I don't know if this impacts your decision, and I see Jeff, so we'll bring him back on. Yeah, right. I'm staying at the Sheridan, by the way, so it's not like I'm slumming it at this thing. I I will uh, – tomorrow I'll find a better place other than my room to, to do the show. So I apologize for that. That's all right. Okay. Yeah, y'all uh, – I didn't check my phone when y'all texted me earlier, and I just like – turn the corner i'm like i'm not hearing anything what's going on and then i look at the screen and i'm like uh-oh <laughs> neither of y'all are yeah, there. yeah. it's uh the, the wi-fi in 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 my room on the on the 36th floor of the sheridan is on the struggle bus right now bk big time so that's all right you made it you made it for the most part y'all are almost done i will say there's this. A, go, go ahead, ahead. no as i said there's a media work room downstairs so i'll probably use that tomorrow there you go. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. That well, tomorrow's works. a Saturday, Jeff. So. No, tomorrow's Friday. What are you talking about? Well, you worked two days this week, Jordan, and uh, you're already done? <laughs> I thought today was Thursday the whole day. I mean, yesterday was like, Thursday the whole day. He's on that Bucky Godbolt calendar, BK. Man, y'all got to realize, like, when you've had a game on, like, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, like, high school, um for 17 weeks in a row and your whole week is built off that when those games are taken away and then you have signing day and Christmas thrown into it, your sense of time is just completely screwed. Like I genuinely B- thought today was a Friday. I'm dead serious. BK's been known to <laughs> hang out at high school games, Jordan, not for the same reasons you do, but well, <laughs> only, only in November when I got the pedo stash, Jeff, you're going full, you go full Wooderson and mm. during the month of November, <laughs> I get older, they stay the same age. Exactly. Before I get in more (laughs) trouble, I'm leaving you guys. Yeah. (laughs) All right, there you go. Um, What were we talking about? We are talking about Caden Finley and – Yeah, I don't know. Someone – Nigel did ask are baseball cards. Soto Alito. Yeah, once. is what we are talking about. Nigel did ask, are they baseball cards? They're uh, they're basketball cards, basically the same thing. Um, But – uh, but yeah, but Alito DeSoto, man, like DeSoto's gonna beat the shit out of everyone. Um, that's just how it is. I mean, they did it this year, they're gonna do it next year. Uh, I don't think they'll be as talented or as good next year or as dominant. Um, just because they're losing their quarterback, DJ Bailey. Uh, he's going to Sam Houston State, terrific player, by the way. He's way better than Sam Houston State, his arm is way better, but um, unfortunately, he's undersized, probably only about 5'11, 5 foot. Um, I'm not gonna lie, he is overweight. Uh, he needs to lose some weight, and he kind of never did. And that was part of what hurt his recruitment process. Besides also being undersized, but I mean, dude, he can spin it. Like he's really Desoto's loaded top to bottom. But DJ Bailey's the real reason that you know Desoto has been what they have been this year and and last year. He, he's the he's the engine that that made that car go. Um, so they're gonna have to replace him. But I mean, they still got Booby Feaster, Tiger Ryden. Um, they're going to have to replace, you know, their most productive player on defense at linebacker, Brandon Booker, who's going to SMU. But I mean, they're returning Keelan Abrams, who's I think has gone over 15 sacks the last two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's kind of a, he's an interesting prospect. He's only about, probably about six, one, six foot, maybe 200 pounds. Um, <laughs> But he plays edge and is an effing man. Like, I'm serious. As a sophomore, he led DeSoto in sacks last year at, like, 16 or something stupid like that. And, like, could not be blocked. 
at all during their playoff run this year and then or last year and then this year like he's gotten even better um the only school that would offer him after sophomore year was Purdue um just because he's such a tweener with his size and edge and build and uh DeSoto you know they have a great coaching staff and they get a lot of kids that get recruited so um you know they're really smart about advising their kids and they advise them hey you need to you need to commit now if you want to have a spot because they didn't know how many other people would be super interested um in him and committed to Purdue and now he's got about 10 offers tech Baylor offered him um I think it was more just because they wanted to see him continue his success into his junior year when more schools would be uh kind of game planning for him um mm-hmm. but I mean DeSoto is just returning a lot since they have a nephew that goes to Red Oak and DeSoto yeah yeah man and Red Oak like DeSoto's been trying to recruit their best players for years too so they might jump ship and can't beat them <laughs> join them <laughs> right um I'd love tomorrow. to see Lancaster in that district as well with DeSoto. Oh, my gosh, man. And Red Oak, man, that'd be why, – Why not just put Sock in the same district? Why, why not? Well, Sock would probably be well, the not, to do that, right? So, yeah, so the way Sock kind of is set up as a school in, like, the 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 district zones, like, Sock is kind of always going to be a 5A D2 school as long as kind of – as long as, like, the, the numbers, the enrollment numbers they have assigned to the different divisions are going to remain in the same ballpark. Sock yeah. is pretty much always going to be kind of gridlocked into that 5A D2 school size. And that's kind of just how Dallas ISD did it. Like, if you notice, Sock is in all Dallas ISD districts, and all those schools are all the same exact size pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. within, like, 50 total kids in, in population for some of them. Like, they're very close. So, won't see Sock if join uh, the new district of Doom. But if only, if only Austin ISD could, you know, manage their situation the same. Because, like, it, it hadn't – I know that was one of Coach Fenner's frustrations was LBJ, basically. And they were still murdering that district. But they're playing with, you know, in a 5A district with 4A numbers. Yep. And they just – it was just one of those deals where it was – And it was, the, it you know, more, Do you know why that happened in the first place? Because they were forced to do that by Austin ISD. Do you know why that happened? Was it because of the split with Lawson? No, it was because Austin I so the four A district that they were in for the two years before they went to five A, they would play teams like um Lampasas. Oh yeah, know. Taylor, like the district was pretty yeah. spread out. Yeah. Teams that are far and spread out. Austin ISD was like, Hey, uh <laughs> we don't have money to pay bus drivers to take Yeah, I thought you, you know, meant like OBJ. what caused their what caused their numbers to drop. I know the oh. losses split off and became its own oh, no, no, school. No, no. I was saying <laughs> Why well, they were forced yeah, to do yeah. that? Yeah, I knew that. Like e- economically, which is BS. It's BS. It was, it's because. Okay. Sorry, I keep cutting no, you off. But it's no, it's, it's bullshit, Jeff. Because in 2021, LBJ went all the way to state, and they lost to Stephenville because Corey Aiken, who's now a Tech, led the country in receiving yards and played like Superman his whole senior year. Right to get to state. In the third round game, I was there at this game in 2021 at the Alamo Dome. It was on Black Friday. In fact, uh, Jamal Fenner, it was his second to last year coaching LBJ. One of his sons had just been shot and killed the night before on Thanksgiving night. They were playing Bernie and literally like beat him like a stepchild, like 68 to three, something like that. The, the alignment happens. Guess who was in the state championship game 
in the uh, believe it was 4A D1, yeah, yeah, 4A D1 game in 2022. It was China Spring and Bernie, and Bernie was up 24-0 and blew. They blew a lead and lost off a, a walk-off field goal. It was like 31 to 28 or something. Mm-hmm. But LBJ beat the shit out of that same Bernie team in the third round before. Like they would have won state last year, and it's just. It's horseshit that they took it away from those kids and all the shit they have to go through with those kids because Austin ISD doesn't want to come up with more money to pay bus drivers when they would have had a state championship school. And I couldn't tell you the last time Austin ISD won a state championship. Speaking of somebody who knows about the struggle with AISD, Zay Collier jumping on. We get ready for Chip and Zay. Hey, look, I didn't even know you were rocking a Bowie shirt today. Oh, hell. Got to rep the AISD legends. The greatest school in AISD history, you know, Zay, it's not even close. Uh, it's not even do, close. Do Do you and CC have enough Bowie gear to last the both of you until your times on this mortal earth are done? Well, Jeff, you know all about this. Your boys put on some LBs ever since my younger days, so I can't fit them Bowie shirts like I used to, bro. It's sad, man. I start giving I know- things away. Look, man, CC's a basketball coach. If I met one basketball coach, I met him all, man. CC's probably got uh, a different tracksuit, windsuit for every day of the week, right? With some kind of Bowie basketball logo on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He has <laughs> mad merch, man. He doesn't have to Bowie polo it. shirts, one for every day of the year. <laughs> Never wearing the same polo. <laughs> uh, great Chip, stuff today, fellas. Only thing I'll tell you, Chip, before we bounce off, man, the internet in my room was spotty at best so godspeed to you and zay doing the show today oh lord it, the the work room will be utilized tomorrow for it's only an hour i'll say that wi-fi seems to be a little more reliable downstairs uh-oh <laughs> so all right boys have a good show appreciate yes, it sir. appreciate right. you